0: Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends. Today, we're once again going to be visiting another state and sharing some allegedly true and creepy stories from viewers in that state. Welcome back to The Swamp and welcome if you're new. Today, we've landed in the state of Arkansas. Now, this state is famous for many interesting mysteries that could be tied all the way up into the government. So, let's see what spooky stories are sent in from here. As always, if you have a story you would like to share, be sure to submit it at SwampDweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Before we jump into these stories, be sure you hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from the state of Arkansas that'll creep you out tonight. Hey Swamp Folk, just as a quick reminder, I am a part of the Chilling family, and if you haven't yet, be sure to take your advantage of the free trial. Chilling is definitely the new home of horror and an amazing mobile app that allows you to do things that are not at all possible on YouTube. With hundreds of amazing stories that are sorted in a curated playlist or playlist you can create yourself, we give you so much flexibility to listen the way you want. This includes a Chilling exclusive feature, our ambient menu, Change the background noise of the story at will to fit your mood. It's an absolute game changer. And of course, this is offered completely and totally ad-free. That's right, no ads, just hours and hours of uninterrupted, horrifying, creepy, and all-around spooky content. So what are you waiting for? Join me, Being Scared, Your Maker, Mr. Creeps, Mr. Creepypasta, and many other horror narrators on Chilling. You can find the link to download and start your free trial today in the description down below. Come join Chilling, the new home of horror. This story is about one of the more real-life threatening moments I've experienced. About a year ago, I drove across the country to California for grad school. The trip was about 2,800 miles, taking me across the country's middle. I had two other options to drive the Northern route through Colorado or the Southern way through Alabama and South Texas. Although this was probably the most boring way, it was the fastest at about six hours less than the other. The entire trip took about four and a half days. I had recently been through a tough breakup and things back home weren't going great for me since undergrad, so that played into the decision to move to California. I enjoyed the drive itself It gave me plenty of time to reflect on my life and figure out what I needed to change about myself. I would drive 10 to 15 hours a day until I got tired and booked an Airbnb. I took my time on the drive. If I saw an incredible national park or landmark to explore, I did it because it was the freest I had ever felt. Anyway, I was driving through the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas. I had never seen the show, but I figured it would be an excellent place to explore. I was making good time on the drive, so I took a 30-minute detour and followed the GPS of my phone to the center of the national park. I drove through a quaint town, just past a junkyard filled with old rusted vehicles and down a road covered in tall spruce trees. Eventually I lost service, but that was fine because I figured it was still a relatively frequented spot for outdoor junkies. I reached a gravel turnout marked with a wooden sign where people could take small boats to launch. I parked, locked my car, and grabbed my knife, some water, and a hammock, hoping to find an excellent spot by the river to rest peacefully. I found two trees at the perfect distance and set up my hammock, drifting off into sleep for about 30 minutes. When I decided it was time to go, I rolled up my hammock into its case and put my large knife and water into the drawstring bag I carry them in. I should add that I carry the knife whenever I go hiking because I'm a paranoid person that's seen too many movies. I grew up hunting and fishing and wrestling in college, so I usually feel safe on my own. As I walked up from the riverbank, I noticed a black SUV had parked and a young couple was standing behind it with the back hatch open. The guy was setting up a fishing pole and the girl was standing there just watching. I noticed a medium-sized black dog with medium-length hair. It looked like a lab mix with maybe German Shepherd. My family has always had large dogs and this one looked friendly. So the thought didn't cross my mind that perhaps it wasn't. As I got closer to their car, parked by mine, the dog noticed me and started trotting towards me. As it got within 5 feet, I stuck my palm out for it to sniff. I don't know if it felt like I was a threat to the couple or what, but it instantly started barking and growling, running from its owners and back to me. As it did this, the girl just looked at it, saying nothing, and the guy just kept messing with the fishing line. After running back and forth a few times, the dog charged at me and I started backpedaling and yelling at it. This seemed to scare it off a little, but it kept charging and lunging at me, biting me through my shorts on my mid-thigh, breaking the skin. Thankfully, it didn't hold on or shake, but I immediately saw blood running down my leg. I had no idea what to do and I felt terrified and intense anger toward the people for not calling their dog off. The guy was still playing with his fishing pole while the girl looked with an expressionless face. After the dog bit me, it continued to do its charging back and forth. I quickly opened my bag and fumbled with my knife as it ran back to them. It was a large 10-inch blade in a black sheath. I drew it and yelled out to the couple that I would use it if I have to. Out of all things I could have yelled to make myself seem harsh, I just yelled, ''Please get your dog.'' I guess it was all my mind could process at the time. Finally, the guy looked up, called his dog back, and held it by the collar, allowing me to get in my car. I did so as quickly as possible, no one saying a word to each other. As I drove off, the adrenaline wore off and what replaced it was pure anger. My brain was telling me that I should go back and confront the couple for being so careless about their dog viciously attacking another person. However, the logical side told me to keep driving and not look back miles away from wherever we were in this remote Arkansas wilderness with no cell phone service. I assessed the damage once I found a safe place to pull off the road and after I regained service, Luckily, the puncture wounds weren't profound and I had a medical kit in my trunk from when I was a lifeguard. I dressed it up with some rubbing alcohol and cotton gauze and drove off. I should have called the police or animal control because the dog could have rabies, but I wasn't really thinking straight at the time. I guess I was just still too shaken up. If I ever drive through Arkansas again though, I'll make sure never to stop and go hiking again. As a quick disclaimer for anyone listening, this next story does have some themes of child abduction and such like that, so if this is triggering, please skip to the next story using the timestamps. Since this is a recent story, the pain stemming from it is still very strong. After reading this, you'll understand why. Being a poor person without insurance, my boyfriend and I, we, we really weren't able to afford counsel and besides, I doubt we would be willing to do it anyway. Despite the fact that his constant facade of strength often gets on my nerves, at this point I realized that one of us must be the strong one in the relationship, and that is certainly not me. Following a discussion with my sister, I decided that committing this story to paper may serve as therapy. Before I get to the story's heart, I must tell you about how we got there. My boyfriend, Mike, and I had only recently moved to Arkansas because of a transfer he had received from work. This transfer also came with a raise and promotion. It came at a perfect time considering I also had just discovered I was pregnant. I got a part-time job at a bookstore so that we would have a little extra pocket money. It also gave me an excuse to get out of the house occasionally. Having no friends, I'd go crazy sitting at home alone all day while Mike worked. When it came time to quit because of the impending birth, they assured me that they would have a job there for me if I wanted to come back in the future. I thanked them, but I had no intention of working another job until our son started school. At least, maybe longer. The day finally came, and our beautiful boy was born after 10 hours of sheer exhausting pain. By the time Mike Jr. and I got home, Big Mike had to go back to work. Since he was a supervisor, he was free to make his hours and take off for the day as long as he was no longer needed. He would often come home for lunch and then take an hour off to spend with his newborn and me. It would help me out with things around the house and such. Life in our home was a darn near idealistic life for nearly a year until the company laid off Mike. Although he was receiving unemployment, it came nowhere near making as much as we had lost. I considered returning to the bookstore for a moment, but since Mike and I had always disagreed with childcare, we decided against it. The following weeks were a trying time until we realized a sure, steady source of income was looking us right in the eye we remembered that we had a guesthouse. This wasn't exactly your stereotypical guesthouse, full of lavish furnishings and the like. It was a converted pool house slash shed that the landlords had converted for their teenage son to live in. Not a palace by far, but nice enough for a single young person. We'd been using it as storage for old baby things, but we'd find another place for that stuff if it meant we could create another source of income. And that's just what we did. We sat down to brainstorm what the ad's wording would be. And after three hours of back and forth, we came up with this. Young friendly couple with newborn looking for single female under 30 to rent a guest house, 300 a month, may need to babysit on occasion. Call this number, 7am to 9pm. Mike wasted no time in posting it. It was put in the usual places like our local newspaper and Craigslist. Once it was up, we had to do the hard part and wait. Fortunately for us, it didn't take too long. The first few calls came from the stupid little boys pretending to be girls because they thought it was funny. But the following day was when Charlie called. Charlie was a 23-year-old girl from Fayetteville and worked at a Golden Corral. Luckily for her, the location she worked at was only about a 15-minute drive from our place. So far, so good. She went on to say that she had been single for almost a year and had no intention of changing that anytime soon. Her father was a preacher in Fayetteville and her mother had been a nurse before she passed away from breast cancer 10 years ago. From what I could tell on the phone, she seemed to be quiet and a down-to-earth girl. After speaking to Mike, we invited her over to see the place. She showed up the next afternoon after her lunch shift at work. We all sat at the dining room table and discussed exactly what we expected of her, and she seemed pleased with everything. After we showed her around the guest house, we left her alone for a moment to make her mind up. A minute later, she returned to tell us that she wanted to rent the place, and we all shook hands to seal the deal. To ensure her spot, she gave us $150 for a deposit. When we all found a day we were all free, we set up a Friday for her to move in her stuff. We took her into the nursery and introduced them to mike jr they took to each other right off the bat all things looked to be on their way up and i could relax a bit for the first time in quite some time friday afternoon came and charlie arrived soon after two mike and i helped her move a few pieces of furniture into the guest house and we were done by four to celebrate i cooked a big dinner of spaghetti and garlic bread we all ate well and Mike and I decided to call it an early night and turn in around 9 p.m. The next few weeks carried on as usual and Charlie would join us sporadically for dinner. She even offered to babysit for us one evening so we could go see a movie together. She was a rather model renter from all appearances and we got along very well. About a month and a half after moving in, I asked Charlie if she was free to babysit that evening so Mike and I could go visit a family member that was in the hospital in Fayetteville. She said, she would be more than happy to do it. So we left that day at around 5 p.m. We took our time visiting our loved ones and decided to stop off and get some takeout. While we were at the restaurant, we picked up some food for Charlie as well to say thanks. When Mike pulled into the driveway, we noticed that Charlie's Subaru was gone. This struck me as strange since it was there when we left and she was supposed to be home watching Mike Jr. With some bit of trepidation, I entered the house and soon realized one of my darkest fears. After a 30 minute search, we were forced to acknowledge the truth. Charlie kidnapped our son. I must have called her phone 30 times, but never got an answer. Mike did most of the talking to the police. Whenever I started to say anything, I'd lose control of myself and yell, please find my baby and break down crying. We gave the authorities every bit of information we had on Charlie, but unfortunately, most of it was a lie. It wasn't until the police discovered Charlie's real identity the following day, Her real name was Rose, and she had only been in Fayetteville for a few months. She had moved here from Missouri, where she lived with her boyfriend and their newborn son. The whole situation gave me chills, because this girl was messing with Mike's in my life. Sadly for her, their son died soon after coming home from unknown causes, but the medical examiner thought it was most likely SIDS. I had a brief pang of sympathy for her, but my anger quickly drowned it out. The police had brought in the FBI soon after they discovered the identity of Charlie. The prevailing theory was that she was going to return to Missouri or head to Kansas, where her mother was currently living. More than likely, she would run to Kansas. Her mother had a history of helping her daughter out of jams with the law, and the feds hoped they could convince her to give Charlie up if she contacted her. There had been a couple of reported sightings of her and little Mikey, but they had been in two different directions. A week into the search, I was beginning to lose hope and, as a result, my grasp on my sanity was slipping. I often found myself begging God to bring my baby home many times a day. I had never been a very religious person, but when you're put in circumstances like this you learn how easy it becomes to be connected with him and how much belief you have in them. Thankfully, the following week the feds called us and said that Charlie had contacted her mother and she was making her way there. Charlie told her that she had been moving very slowly, staying in various places for days at a time, driving only at night. When her mother asked if Mike Jr. was okay, Charlie assured her that he was fine and that she would never harm him. When the cops told us this part mainly, I was relieved. A small amount of me was afraid that she had killed Mike Jr. out of spite, spite against all of us women with healthy, living children. Charlie's mother had told her to stay away from her house to gain her trust. The police were watching her place. Instead, she had rented a motel room for her on the outskirts of town, and when she was able to get away, she'd come see her. Charlie bought the story, and once she had checked into the motel, the cops waited for their opportunity to strike. Later that night, they saw their chance and took it. Around 11 p.m., she stepped away from the room to get some ice. Mike Jr. was alone in the room, so they had no fear of harming him during the arrest. When returning from the ice machine, the cops approached her from all directions and arrested her with no problem. The moment the FBI had called us and told us their plan, a local detective volunteered to drive us up to Kansas, so we could be there when Mike Jr. was saved. We had been waiting at another motel just a few miles away to get the okay to pick him up, and at 11.15 that night, we were finally reunited with our beautiful baby boy. The paramedics were on the scene to check him for any injuries as we had hoped he was fine. I could see Charlie sitting at the back of a cop car. The urge to scream at her and ask her why almost overwhelmed me, but in the end, I guess we already knew why. Once the trial finally began nearly a year later, the extent of Charlie's, or Rose's, whatever you wanna call her, plan was brought to light. She claimed that she had no intention of kidnapping anyone's child when she came to Arkansas. Her only desire was to start her life over and move on from her son's death. But when she saw the ad, and the idea of taking Mike started to form, she couldn't resist. She saw him and fell in love and that was it. Of course she had felt terrible for doing this to us because she said we had become like her friends, but her love for Mike Jr. and her grief over her loss overruled her mind. Despite her multiple attempts to get the jury's sympathy, she was found guilty. To ensure she would receive the harshest sentence, the local D.I.A. chose to let the feds try her and as a result, she was given 20 years. You better believe that Mike and I will be at every one of her parole hearings to make sure she serves every single day of that 20 years. Well, that brings us up to the present. I'm sorry if I may have given you the impression that my child had died at the beginning of this. This was not my intent. While I recognize that losing a child permanently is far worse, I hope at least none of you ever have to ever experience this. You can become unhinged, While I may not be the happy-go-lucky girl I once was, sharing my story with you has lifted a small weight from my heart. My greatest hope is that Mike Jr. was far too young to be harmed by this painful episode and he can grow up to be a well-rounded and happy individual. Mike and I have done our best to carry on as before, dealing with our pain and the fears the only way we know how to. If not for the good of ourselves, certainly for the good of our son. Once I was working in a hospital in Arkansas on the swing shift. It was about an hour's drive from my home in Oklahoma Hills. I had a slick step-side pickup truck, and my family needed to borrow it to move some stuff. They didn't get back with my pickup when I got off, so instead, they left a Mercury Monterey car, a freaking ugly boat to drive home. It was huge, and I wasn't happy, but I had a way to get home, so I guess I couldn't complain too much. It had a monster motor in it and would go fast. But still, I wouldn't say I liked it, and I cussed and grumbled the entire ride. My hair jerked about 20 miles down the road, rocking about 75 to 80. Not a little jerk, but like somebody pulled my hair and just forced it back. So I whipped off the road and fisted my gun, and jumped to see if there was anybody in my back seat expecting to catch someone hiding there. But there was no one. I cursed the car, the owner, and everyone I was angry with and floored it. I got another 20 miles over a curved hill, and then suddenly the lights go out. Holy crap. I pulled off the road and they came back on. So I cussed at the stupid car again and took off. Then my hair got violently yanked again, pulling my head back until I couldn't see the road anymore. I pulled over, stopped, and checked the back seat once more. The headrest, everything. This ramped up my temper. I was on this isolated stretch of road and there were no cell phones back then. I had to get home. It was midnight and I was not happy. I took off again and the heater went off. Then the lights started flashing on and off every few minutes. But when I began to pull off the road, they would come back on like nothing was wrong. Now I'm not mechanically inclined, so I think it's a short, maybe the alternator. I told the car it was a defective piece of crap and was determined to get home. Then it felt like someone was kicking the back of the seat. Not a subtle nudge, but bam, right in the back like somebody was full-on soccer-kicking me. Then, my bag went flying out of the passenger seat onto the floorboard. The radio went up. The radio changed channels. The lights went on and off. The center tried to buck me like a bull, and it started blowing cold air. I made my turn onto a dirt road and stopped at the first creek I came to and pulled off the road into the embankment. I got my bag and my ass out of there and left it there. It was winter, it was cold, and it was late, but I was not going to deal with this haunted piece of crap anymore. The next day, they brought my truck home and wanted the car. I told them where to find it. I don't know about haunted vehicles or anything paranormal, but this is a true story in 1976, though. A few weeks ago, Labor Day weekend, my boyfriend and I made the journey to go see my grandparents who live in rural Arkansas. It's beautiful up there, and we have always wanted to spend more time with them and go hiking, kayaking, etc. The trip was going normally until our second night there. A little bit of background before I get into what happened. When we got there, my grandfather had mentioned something about a guy in a suit in his early 30s, wandering around the road that they lived on and how he had never seen him before. They lived in a small town, if you even want to call it a town, so everyone really knows everyone. Like I said, this is rural Arkansas in the middle of complete nowhere. They live on a mountain, technically it's a few hundred feet short of a mountain, but you get the idea. There's shoddy cell reception, like an hour and a half drive from the nearest Walmart, and a ton of wild animals, not to mention difficult terrain. It was our second night there and we were all playing cards in their basement. The entrance to the house is on technically the second floor, that's important in a second. It's about 8.30 which is equivalent to about 1am to my grandparents and the elderly people who live around them. When we hear a knock at the door suddenly, my grandfather goes upstairs to answer the door confused as to who may be here so late. You know it's old people time and all we hear him say is, didn't you just knock on my door? Followed by some talking. He comes back downstairs, and we ask who it was. He says he doesn't know, but it looked like the guy who had been walking around in the woods a few days earlier. We asked him what he wanted, and he told us the man introduced himself with his full name and said he was trying to get his life back on track, was living with his mother up the hill, where he said he was living was over an hour's walk up the mountain. It was getting dark, and you don't want to wander up there at night. He was just ringing the doorbells. My grandfather said he was shirtless and seemed a little off. We were all a little wary and my boyfriend mentioned something about burglars knocking on doors to see if somebody was home so they can rob them. Seeing how a lot of people have vacation homes up here, we started getting nervous, but continued playing cards. About 20 minutes later, my grandmother and I meet eyes. She looked at me and goes, do you hear talking? I said I did, but it was probably the TV. She looked a little freaked out and told me the TV was not on. My grandfather and boyfriend bolt up. My boyfriend goes outside and my grandfather went upstairs to see if he could see anything out the windows. They both came back in a few minutes later and say they couldn't find anything. I'm freaking out at this point and ask what the name he gave so we can google him. When I did, not one but two missing persons report came up within the last year. One of them was from last summer when he was filed as a missing person with his girlfriend and her kid. They ended up being found but they didn't know where the crazy man was but he was suspected to be laying low because of a police chase he had gotten in. The other one was from a few weeks ago, from his mother, who lives a few hours away, not down the road like he said. She had filed a missing report for him. My grandfather called the sheriff and they ended up finding him still shirtless running through the woods in the dark. It could have ended much worse. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true horror stories from Arkansas. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to give us a five-star rating over there as it helps me there a ton, and it's very much appreciated. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are. You can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's from your home state or just a different type of story in general, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the Swamp. In the comments down below, don't forget to let me know what story was your favorite tonight. I love to see which ones you like more as it helps me pick better stories in the future. If you have any topic suggestions, definitely throw them down. I'm always looking to cover brand new topics in the swamp. If you would like to support the swamp outside of all that, maybe check me out over on Twitch. I stream multiple times a week. We watch horror movies, we play horror games, and do all kinds of cool stuff over there. You can find a link to do so in the description. If you're looking to look like the coolest, swampy person in the room, be sure to check out the Swamp Dweller merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I will see you all soon with another creepy episode.